The people who say that I should start are saying that I should start. So I'm going to do that. Hi. My name is Kent. I'm pastor at a church called Illum in Seattle. And I am the chairperson of Conquerors Through Christ, which is the Wells organization that serves people who are struggling in any way with pornography and want to start having a healthier conversation around sex. Some of you grabbed this devotional on your way. It's on the little table that's there by the door where those guys are, also from Conquerors Through Christ. Um, this is not just for people who are struggling with pornography. It's for any person who is in any way a sexual being. So if you are that, this could be a useful thing to you and then to somebody else after you're done with it and you hand it to them. It's a good little devotional that we put together and we try to hand out a lot. But um, tonight we're going to have a brief devotion and then we're going to present a little bit on how Conquerors Through Christ approaches the concept of pornography and sex and give you some time to Q&A about it a little bit. Devotionally, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. But I'll, I'll say some stuff before I get into that text. Um, I was just at Martin Luther College. We, Brad and I were just there, and we presented there. And now we're here presenting to you, and we're going to talk at Wisconsin Lutheran College in a couple of days. So I've thought a lot about being a college student in the last couple of weeks, which I hadn't thought a lot about for a while because I'm getting to be very old. And when I was not very old and I was in college, I remember very well a few things, one of which was my first kiss. I had my first kiss when I was in college because I had done a thing that was kind of popular among Christians in the like late 90s, early 2000s, which was I had kissed dating goodbye. There was a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and I did that. So I, I didn't date, and then I started dating this girl in college, and she was the first girl that I had ever kissed. I'm married to her now, which, was, which worked out. I'm very, very pleased with that. And that was kind of some of the concept behind kissing dating goodbye was, was you're not going to date a bunch of people. You're just going to find somebody, and you're going to court them, not date, court. So in courting, unlike dating, you go like to a restaurant with them and have a meal and talk about your life and what's important to you, and then you do that more times at various other kinds of events. So different from dating. Um, but, but the thing about it was I didn't understand why I was doing it, or the reason that I was doing it is not the reason that I should have been doing it. And as we read from Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see Paul, as he writes in this chapter, talk about two different things, a sort of dichotomy between something called the flesh and something called the spirit. The flesh is the, the, the human sinful person and its motivations that are defined by the law. They are defined by this idea that we can, by being good and obedient, make God like us more. The spirit comes from God, and it is defined by grace. It is defined by the idea that God already likes us. He already loves us. He already wants us. And there isn't anything we can or should try to do to make him like us more. The problem I had when I was in college was I thought the way I was behaving was a thing that would make God like me more. And even though it seems like a good thing in its own right, or at least I thought it was, it was a thing of the flesh because my motivation was of the flesh. So here's the, the, the reading. It's, it's Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, 
Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So he makes this distinction. You're called to be free, and you can do one of two things with that freedom. You can use it to indulge the flesh. You can live according to the law, or you can use it to serve one another in law. This is the distinction he's going to draw. For the entire law is filled up in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I had this wonderful opportunity and I kissed this very nice girl and it was wonderful, but the problem was I was doing it. I was going about the whole thing thinking about myself and how I was better or how I was benefiting compared to other people. I was functioning with a mindset of the flesh when I could have been functioning with a mindset of the spirit. Paul goes on, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The two are separate, they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is a big deal. If you function, says Paul, by the Spirit, you are not underneath this idea that says by fulfilling a certain set of behaviors, God will like you more. Because the law can't do that for you. Because you can't actually do good enough for God to like you more. You never could because God always liked you first. He's always the first actor. And you are always in a position to respond to that love that he offers you. So you can't do something to make, you pay, make him pay more attention to you. He's already doing it. Now you stand in a position to respond. So Paul goes on now to compare operating by the flesh to operating by the spirit. This is the part of this text that you may be more familiar with as we go on. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Whatever's like orgies. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. When I was a freshman in high school, I had this, 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 this first kiss with, with this woman who I am now married to. And in that moment, I was not fully thinking the way that I wish I had been. I was thinking about how I was and how I compared to others. And the thing is, if there had been somebody else on the campus who was better at kissing, dating goodbye than me, I would have been envious of them. I would have been provoked by that because I was thinking about me and what I wanted to be perceived as and thought that I had some control over being perceived in that way. The really fortunate thing is God is very patient with all of us. 
and he comes alongside us while we learn and figure things out. And he patiently and gently guides us. And I got really fortunate because this girl that I kissed, she has taught me so much ever since then about what it means to be all of the things that the fruits of the Spirit are. I have learned from our relationship to be patient and, and gentle and all the goodness that comes out of self-control and the goodness that comes out of every single beautiful thing that is named in that list that we know as the fruits of the Spirit. And I learned that not because I'm so smart, but because what became most important was this relationship, this connection. What's great about the fruit of the Spirit, all of them, is that they exist one person to another. You don't do the fruits of the Spirit in isolation on your own. You do them in connection with other people. And what God is doing with his spirit is he is bringing us into connection with other people, leading us towards a thing that is a full version of unity that we can't even comprehend, but we will experience when we are in heaven. And as long as we are living by the law, we are isolating ourselves from others, comparing ourselves to others, and trying to be something not unified. But God is patient, and he is good. And he has taught me each day and continues to teach me what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. Not by myself, but with everybody who's walking by the Spirit. We're going to talk to you tonight about reframing the concept of sex and the idea of pornography and talking about it in a way that has to do with walking by the Spirit. As we do so, I'm excited to hear from you and to, to, to get your questions. But before we do, we're going to close the devotion with prayer. Are there any prayer requests tonight that anybody would like to bring up? Everything is going great for everybody. So happy for you. If there ever are, talk to him because I won't be here. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the chance to take a look at your word together, for the way that you use that word to bring us your spirit, for the way that you use that spirit to bring us together as we seek to become a connected group of people who walk by the Spirit. We ask that you'd give us the humility that it takes to learn, that you'd give us the patience that it takes to be with one another, even when the people around us aren't getting it, because we know sometimes we aren't either, and that you would give us the grace to know that no matter where we're at in this entire journey, no matter what we've done, what we will do, we are loved by you. You are an incredible God who acts first in our lives, and you put us in this beautiful position to receive and to respond. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. At this point, I'm going to bring Brad Snyder up as well. He's also on the CTC board. And Josh, you don't have to... This is also Josh, who's on our board, and will be part of our Q&A as we go. So um, Brad and I are going to talk you through something called the nine and a half theses. We have those slides. Can we get... There we go. Um, so, the, I don't know. I don't know what you do and don't know. You ever heard, you've heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther was this, this reformer in the, in the, 15th, in the, in the 16th century, and, and he, he posted this thing on the door, 95 Theses. We thought, because we're very funny people, that it would be a good idea to spoof that, the 95 Theses. But we don't have time for 95 of them, so we just went with 9.5 Theses. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk them through. Um, the paragraph that's there, which has very strange language, is just a rewriting of the opening paragraph of the 95 Theses, because we're very funny, like I said. Um, but the way this is going to work is we'll introduce a thesis, and then 
um, we'll read a, a, a passage from Scripture that supports that thesis. We would like you to join with us in reading the passages from Scripture out loud because it's just always good to say God's Word together. And then we'll tell a story based on that thesis. And then we will uh, have a quote from a book that we think is a book maybe that should be on your radar when it comes to sex, sexuality, and pornography. Throughout that time, if you go to the next slide. Oh, it's not there. There it is. You can submit questions. You can do that now by scanning the QR code, or there will be a website and a code on the side of each slide. You can submit these questions totally anonymously. We will um, use them at the end in the Q&A, but sometimes when the guys are here to talk about sex, people don't want to raise their hands and ask their sex-related questions. So we allow you to do this anonymously um, to keep it a little simple, and at the end, we'll respond to those questions. Okay. Did you want to say anything, Brad, or you want me to just yeah, there are, I can give you a chance? There are dad jokes and there are pastor jokes. 9.5 theses is a pastor joke. It, they're just as bad. Uh, they just require even more thinking. Yeah. Um, so you're welcome. Uh, FYI, functionally, Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel served as the world headquarters of Conquerors Through Christ for the majority of our 11-year existence. So thank you. Uh, it's actually pretty cool to, like we would have our annual meetings here, downstairs, like that, like one level down. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to be here with other people. We must have been here like early on a Saturday morning and yeah. there's nobody else. I just knew this as an empty place. <laughs> uh, so good to see some faces uh, here too. Uh, now there are some people here that I know pretty well. Uh, we're gonna tell some stories tonight so, uh, Grace and Kira and Steve, and I, I just want you all to know that none of the stories tonight are about them. Now I'm ready. Okay. Number one. Christians do well to primarily think of sex as a good thing, not an evil or dangerous thing. Read with me Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Sex is one of those things. I, I don't know if you have many friends who are, who are married yet, but um, as... As my friends started to get married, and, and they are friends who grew up in homes where their parents just talked about sex as something bad. All that they were told about sex is, don't do. Uh, and they had pastors and teachers who, who largely echoed the same message. They then got married, and one friend in particular who really opened up to tell a story about a just awkward, difficult wedding night where they, they knew this was something they were expected to do, but they, they didn't on their wedding night. They didn't have sex. They kind of started to try, and both felt too bad. Felt dirty and awkward, and marriage is off to that hot start, right? Uh, and then the whole honeymoon continued to be until after when they got home, and he reached out and said, I need to talk. Uh, now, he, there's one friend in particular who reached out to talk, but I mean, as a pastor, I've heard very similar stories come up again and again. Reframing the conversation so that, that sex is known primarily as a good thing, not an evil, dangerous thing, I hope seems pretty obvious. 
but functionally and practically, I, I know that far too often it's, it's not. So let's just start there. Sex is good. It's a good thing, a good gift from God. Misuse of sex is not good and can be very, very bad and very, very painful in ways that are very, very lasting. Um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. But sex is good. We'll keep talking about why and how. But let's, sex is good. Our quote here is from a very new book called Beautiful Union by Joshua Butler. A little bit of controversy around the book, but there's some really good quotes in it, and this is one of them. It says, God created sexuality, so shouldn't it be beautiful, positive, and joyful just as he intended? Sex illuminates the makeup of creation, the nature of salvation, and the abundance of God's kingdom and more. Christians not only must, but inevitably will set the tone for conversations about sex in the church. If it's good, then we can talk about it, and we can talk about it in the church. Let's read uh, Song of Songs 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. I'll say it again. That is an important comma. Eat, friends. It's a great quote from a great book. Um, the, 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 the big idea in this, in this particular quote is that the friends of these two lovers are encouraging them to be lovers, encouraging them to, to be together. And the first time I ever had an experience where someone spoke very positively about sex who's in a leadership position was a guy named Randy Hunter, fairly local to here. He's at St. Andrew in Middleton. And uh, he does a lot of marriage enrichment stuff. He did my wedding, great guy. And we were at a pre-marriage thing, bunch of couples at this pre-marriage thing. And he came out for the, the, the lesson we were about to do and he said, hotel sex is the best sex. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then he went on to explain why hotel sex is the best sex. And it had to do with you don't care about the room. And I was like, whoa. And that really set the tone for a beautiful conversation that was positive and excited about sex for the rest of the hour. It was a good, good thing. We have that power. We have the ability to set that kind of tone. And if anybody should be good at talking about God's good gifts, it should be Christian people. We should be the best at celebrating his good gifts. When confronted by the repercussions of the sexual liberation of the 1960s, the Christian understanding of sexuality should not descend to petty bourgeois prejudice and manichaeism in the guise of Puritan prudery. It should instead try to free those repercussions from superficiality, banalization, and commercialization and demonstrate the spiritual depth of erotic love shown in the poetry of the Song of Songs, those exquisite verses full of the heady juices of ripe fruit. I'd like to note that book. I want you to be on the God of Love. It is really, really good. Really good. Should be on your radar. All right. Number three. Number three. Christians want to speak well about sex and enjoy a sexual life as acts of stewardship of God's gifts. Read with me 1 Corinthians 7, verses 4 and 5. The wife, the wife does, does not have, have authority, authority over her own body, but, but yields it to her husband. husband. In the, the same, same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not, do not deprive, deprive each other, except, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then, then come, come together, together again, 
so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Some of these stories may not sound like they might sound kind of normal. Maybe you know people like this. Uh, do you know someone, I know, I know someone, who, a married couple who has decided now that they're done having kids, then they're, they're done having sex. And I can see how like a, a, a Lutheran confirmation class about the seas of marriage could set them up to think that that would be what it's all about. And I find it really confusing. If you've done this before, because you have kids, ha <laughs> You just want to be done? Uh, if that's the case, I, th- I, feel, I feel like y- you have missed something of the experience I know somewhere along the way. Um, and if, 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 if the potential of children is the only thing that they were hoping to steward in their marriage, then they've missed a lot of what God has entrusted to them, to each other, in this relationship in life that they share together. Stewardship of a relationship, stewardship of a really unique act, a really unique way to love and serve each other and to communicate and to know each other uh, and in a really practical way, like I, I just, what happens when the kids grow up? If you're, if you don't have this connection, if your relationship together now, if what you steward together now is children, what happens to the two of you when the children grow up? And what expectation do you have to have a connection and to be together when you no longer have any shared stewardship? Um, so also then, like, yes, sex is good. Why? Not just to have kids, but for the two of you, sex is good. Also, if you don't like sex that much, it's like, adopt. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the quote here, <laughs> the quote here, I think, I think, is from the book Prepared to Answer. I know it is by Mark Paustian, and I've tried to catch him at MLC today to ask, and I couldn't. Anyway, it's a very good quote about how Christians can treat sex and value it. Only Christianity properly elevates human sexuality, sanctifies it behind plush velvet cords, and bothers to whisper a hushed thank you to God for its wonderful creative powers. Regular, casual conversations about sex is well within the scope of Christian decency. Let's read Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4 together. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. So he spends a lot of time saying things that shouldn't be and then covers everything that should be with thanksgiving. Right? This is the context in which it should be said. It's really a, a beautiful section. Uh, people are going to talk about sex whether the Christians do or not. Right? Kids are going to learn about sex whether Christians and the Christian parents teach them or not. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about sex whether it's talked about at church or not. And sometimes that makes me jealous. Right? Like, I think it's fair. If sometimes you're like, why oh, can't... These people who just treat it like mud and as something that's just selfish, 
they get to talk about it so freely with such joy. Quite, we can. I think we can talk about it too. Um, so I went to one of the, the Randy Hunter marriage enrichment seminars one time uh, years ago, and my wife and I, I took her with me. And I don't think you've, you've, you've probably never been to one of those, right? Like when I, when I was there, I think I was still in my 20s, and I was one of three, we were, we were one of three couples uh, that weren't twice our age. Everyone else, like it was just these retired couples looking to make the best of life and, and, and making the most of, of their, their marriage that they have. And so the three couples that were not old people uh, really quickly gravitated to each other. And, and one of the wives there just mentioned this frustration of like, I see people talking about sex. I see it on TV and I, like, I hear it uh, like on the streets and like, like what? They don't, like, I think I have better sex than they do. I, I respect it more. Why can't I talk about it? I'm like, you can. Let's, let's do it. I said, like, you mentioned you, you hear it on TV. You're like, you, like you, let's, what do you mean? Give me a specific example and let's do that. And she said, well, I remember a Friends episode when they, they all went around the room sharing where is the craziest place they've ever done it. Done. Let's do it. And started. And you're like, go around the room. Like, my wife was with me. I knew that she was, like, I, you know, I checked. She's comfortable. Yeah, trust these people. This is fine. This is appropriate. Uh, everything is good. We're only talking about things that are good. And went around the room with these three couples talking about married sex and the fun and the experience and, and then shared joy and a really just good, healthy, thank God for this kind of way. Like, why not? Christians, you have something good. If you share something good with someone and, and there's like, you know, go ahead, own the conversation, own the narrative. Uh, you don't need to be ashamed. This is something good. If you're not ashamed, you can talk about it. Um, maybe don't talk about it everywhere to everyone, but you have people you love, you have people you trust, uh, people where it's appropriate, sharing some more personal things, talk about it. Uh, go ahead. And, and for what it's worth, everyone in our group had better answers than Rachel in France. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is only coincidence that our quote for the, that follows the story about the craziest place you've ever done it is from a book called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. The quote goes like this, boys and girls in America have such a sad time together. Sophistication demands that they submit to sex immediately without proper and preliminary talk. Not courting talk, real, straight talk about souls. For life is holy and every moment is precious. God invented sex as a means for interdependent connection leading to unity. Let's read Genesis 2.24. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she, she was, was taken, taken out of man. man. That, is that is why, why a man, man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I had a chance to work with a couple. I, I still work with them. Um, the, they've been married for, for a while. The husband has a porn addiction that he struggled with for a very long time, and his is complex in this way. When he falls off the wagon with his addiction, he falls way off the wagon, and he, he's just really deep into porn for a while. And he had always thought that he was very good at hiding it. Like 
he came to me because he knew I was doing this Conquers Through Christ stuff and said, this is a struggle for me. We started talking. We got to the point where he felt we now need to bring in his wife and it's time to talk about it and see, you know, like work on it uh, together. And he was explaining it to her and, and, and that it would happen sometimes and he'd get really into it, but he'd, he'd try hard to, you know, to, to, to get back out of it. And then he'd come back out of it for a while and he'd go back in. And, and she said, I, like, I know, of course. And, and he, was, he thought for sure he had her fooled. But she said, I, I can always tell because there's something between us in those hard times. There's something in the way of us during those periods of time. I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but now you, you, you explain this to me, of, of course. I, I understand. I knew that. The issue is that they were a married couple, are a married couple, deeply connected people, doing what God designed us to do, right? He made a man, and then he took a part of him, and he made another person, and now we have this desire to get back to being one whole thing. It's a good thing. It's a designed thing by God that we be interdependently connected to each other, to other people, just like the Trinity is interdependently connected, Father to Son, Son to Spirit, Spirit to Father. We have that same dream and desire. And she could tell when they were apart. She could tell when they weren't connected. We were made for interdependent connection that leads to unity. Interestingly, the English word sexuality comes from the Latin word sexus, which means being divided, cut off, separated from another. We typically don't think of sexuality in terms of separation, but that is precisely what it is. Our sexual desire, drive, and energy show we are separated and long to be connected, both physically and emotionally. Number six, Christians understand sex to be an act of mutual, selfless, Beneficial, servant-like sharing. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let's read them together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's a couple that I know and love, uh, and he was, he was raised Mennonite, which is not a very emotional culture, not, not a very interpersonal connection kind of culture, uh, and a very male-oriented, male-dominated culture. And so the, all of that feeds into his understanding of sex and what he was taught. Uh, this, this couple met to get together they both they met when they were in the military where she had been sexually assaulted and they're married and these are the backgrounds of sex that they bring together his a mindset that it's all for the man and it is not emotional hers trauma and so they will set their times and she will submit to him and honor him in this way. And she doesn't complain about it, but she doesn't like it. And it's, it's a very foreign thing for him to recognize the opportunity to serve her. And because of her trauma, it's going to be very difficult to do. 
but it's been completely neglected for over a decade of marriage. And so it's something to work very hard at, and yet his mindset of what sex is and his role and what this does has not addressed that. And now like, there's this, this broken process, this broken thing that they do together that they're very good at, and they're very used to doing it in a very broken way. Something much more beautiful can come. And it's going to take a lot of work on his part to help her. To, to find with her what does she like? What does she appreciate? What does she enjoy? Because they've been married for, I said, over a decade. And and that's not known yet. And it would have been really hard to know that in the beginning. And now they're far down the road and just really difficult for them to be able to see and use this. Like they both know it's good, but can be so much better when it's not just one person serving the other, but both serving each other in a Jesus be glorified kind of way. I think we all are sexually broken enough that we bring some trauma and that we all have some misguidance that we bring uh, as well. You hear enough people say, uh, you know, what's important in marriage is you put the other first. Or what's important in marriage is that you communicate. In the bedroom too, put the other first and communicate. And these are, these are really just like identifiable, Christian, sanctified, awesome people. And I've learned their secret. I've learned their hidden secret. And for me, it was really easy to recognize, well, like, duh, of course this isn't good. And there's a lot, long way to go. Long way to go. And like, this isn't just like some story I read about in a magazine. These are people I know. As you get to know them and know the things that you don't know. Sex is good, and they thought they knew that. So much better. Tim Keller paints the picture of this dream really nicely in his uh, paper, The Gospel on Sex. Sex is sacred because it is the analogy of the joyous self-giving and pleasure love within the life of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in a relationship of glorious devotion to each other, pouring love and joy into one another continually. There it's it still is. you, but you wanted the next slide. I wanted the next slide is what I wanted Whatever. there. Yep, thank yeah. you. Number seven. Good sex and good conversations about sex are enjoyable, but they aren't entertainment. Job chapter 31, verse 1, read it with me. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. To be clear, he did not make a covenant with his eyes not to look at a young woman, but not to look lustfully had a young woman. So pornography would be the, the, the current epitome of treating sex as purely and merely entertainment. I have, a, I have a couple in my congregation and the man has recently shared 
that that is that is his use. That this is this is a big part of his life. Um, that he uses pornography as entertainment and views sex in that way often. But recently, stumbled uh, came came across a video that he is convinced is his wife. And he confronted her. He came to accuse her. And she's not so much bothered by the fact that he was using pornography as much as she is bothered by the fact that he doesn't trust her when she says, no way, it is not. Sex is a means by which God has provided for husbands and wives to really know each other. To know who she is, to know her body, but to also know who she is and what she would do. And there's something else that he clearly knows better. That he can see a different body, as well as he should know hers, still convinced that is hers. And as much as he should know her heart, still convinced she's doing that. So convinced that he's informed both sets of their parents to let them know what she has been doing. Porn makes you sexually stupid. And, and he is convincing me, porn makes you plain stupid all around, that he is continually showing that he loves and trusts this more than her. He's so messed up and in his mind, so convinced that he's right. I, I'll be done. <laughs> it's a tough one. C.S. Lewis depicts the brokenness that happens in uh, really what, one of my favorite quotes of his where he describes the, the problem with a metaphor. He says, you can get a large audience together for a striptease act, right? Fill an auditorium. Now, suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? There's nothing to be ashamed of in enjoying your food. But his point is, we have to somehow correct where it's going wrong. Which leads us to number eight. Pornography and masturbation are not able to offer any of the things that make sex good. Let's read Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11. I denied myself nothing, nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I was at church, I was working, and a couple who were members of mine came in, and they brought someone who I had never met before. It was her brother. And he introduced himself using the name that you see on the screen. And, and I, okay, it's nice to meet you. He had been a director of pornographic film for over 25 years. He had lived in California. 
And the reason he was being brought in to meet me that day was he had left California and he had needed, wanted, decided to get out of the industry and his sister was going to take him in and they were going to help him and they were going to figure it out together. He was an award-winning director and he had a certain ethic about the way that he produced pornography. He really wanted to give women a chance to help them on their way up, to get, help them pay for their education, whatever it was. And the thing that broke him, the thing that got him out of the industry was these women that he cared about deeply, that he really loved, that he really wanted the best for, were killing themselves. And the reason they were killing themselves is they were aging out of the industry. And as you age out, you have to do more and more things to get people to hire you. And they felt so devalued and so degraded by the things that they were being told to do to make money that they felt they had no value left. And he started to realize maybe this isn't something that actually yields joy for people. Maybe this industry, maybe this idea isn't something that can actually lead to something satisfying. And, and, and it was great to work with him. And, and, and the gospel taught him that there is love for people and dignity for people and hope for people, no matter who they are and no matter what they've done. It's just sad that it took that long to know. It was sad that it went that far. And then he got to there. The age, the average age of death of a female pornographic actress is before 40. It's not a good thing. That's a correct stat, right? I got that 37. right. 37 and a half. This isn't able to satisfy, and it isn't able to help. It's a real thing that we need to talk about it in a different and a better way because there's a big conversation that's hurting people. Oh, I got it. Sorry. The quote here is from a great book called Changing Science to Truth, and it goes like this. In today's culture, sexual consummation is often reduced to an economy of exchange, people giving pleasure in order to get it in return. Consummation is a gift of communion within community. That's what it should be. The mune in communion and community within these words is, in fact, gift, and it's seen in the word munificence. For this guy named Bakhtin, who was an amazing semiotics scholar, then effective communication functions as a gift. We have to be able to frame it as a gift. Fear is not as useful as hope for Christians when it comes to sex. Read from Galatians. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Very young couple, just married. For him, porn had been a problem for a long time, and now that they were married, they were, he was trying to deal with it. 
He was, he was trying to make it stop. He was trying to, he didn't want the story of their sex life in their marriage to be one that included porn. He didn't want it to be one that included porn addiction. And he was really frustrated by it. He was really trying to work on it. And she was trying to be there for him in whatever ways she could. And, and I would meet with them. And, and one day um, we decided I would meet with him first and then I would meet with her and, and we'd try to you know, see what their perspectives were and how they can, can work together in this. And, and he was so upset. He was he clenched his fists and he would just, I just want to do it right. I just want the sex I want it to be right. I want, us, I, want it, I want to do it right. Okay. So we talked about that. We talked about the gospel. And he left and she came in. And her frustration was totally different. Her frustration was, was a deep, compassionate sadness in which she just said, I just want him to know that I love him. That even if this is part of our story, I love him. That even if being his wife means we're going to work on this, I love him. For him, it was about an act of performance, and his approach was what I talked about in the devotion. It was of the flesh. It was of the law. For her, it was of the spirit. Joyful, patient, forbearing, gentle, self-controlled. She just wanted him to know she loved him. Yep. Here's a Luther quote to his friend Spalatin. When you sleep with your wife, Catherine, and embrace her, you should think this child of man, this wonderful creature of God, has been given to me by my Christ. May he be praised and glorified. On the evening of the day on which, according to my calculations, you will receive this, I shall make love to my Catherine von Bora while you make love to yours. And thus, we will be united in love. 500 years ago, Luther was talking this casually and positively about sex. Where did it go? How did we become such rigid prudes? Luther thought I was a Lutheran. And a half. Sex is a gospel thing, not a law thing. Sex is a good thing. Sex is a grace thing, not a law thing. If that means you need to reshape your understanding, please, by all means, have a different foundation. Have a different starting point. Sex is good. It's full of grace, an opportunity to serve and love and put someone else first and say, Jesus, be glorified. And you just keep getting better at it together for the rest of your life together. Anything else? No. No well put. Okay. Can we move to questions? We can. Hoping to? We should hoping introduce to? Josh because he's been sitting okay. there very patiently. Yes. So, and drove uh, all the as way we move Michigan. on to questions, we have, oh, we even have a mic for Josh. We Good. do indeed. Cool. Thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, we're still getting to know Josh. He's the uh, newest member of our, of our team, getting to know what, what Josh wants his role to be. But Josh is able to be here tonight. This is his first Conquerors Through Christ event. Uh, Kent and I are both pastors, so we likely will bring similar thoughts to the table. Joshua has a different background in psychology and counseling, and, and that's, that's his sphere. So as we engage in your questions, if uh, Joshua has something to add, 
or if there's anything you want specifically to address to him, uh, he'll be answering too. So, I mean, feel free. Come he's on saying, up. Okay, now he's making I was going to say you can if you want to. Uh, we don't need this anymore. We have lots of good questions and more coming in. Uh, it's even more than that now. Um, look at that. They just keep appearing. Um, let's see. Oh, these are good. What level of practical victory over porn does a person need to have before pursuing marriage? Who wants it? Uh, let's start chipping away. What level? Level 10. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I would say more like here's, here's, here's some steps to get to a healthy level. Honesty with a significant other. Like don't drop a bomb once you're married. Right? As you begin to trust and know each other, share your dark secrets too. Uh, they absolutely 100% are affected and impacted by this and they are hurt by it. You are hurt by it. They are hurt by it in a different way. Uh, don't surprise them. Let them know up front. So if, the, if you're not at that level, well then, but also like pursue marriage, like pursuing a person to share that with, like, yeah, start pursuing that person. And when you think you find that person, then, then share. At the same time, uh, if you're at the level where you say, I am not good, I am broken, I need help, then that's the best level for a Christian to be. Uh, not in a way that says, so my sin is fine, but in a way that says, I need a savior. Um, then I want you to be at that level too. And if you're not, then that's, that's somewhere you need to get to. So you need to get to the spot, the place where you're willing to share the dark secret with the significant other and get to a place where you say, I am broken and I cannot make myself righteous on my own. I need help, I need a savior. Anything to add? Don't have to. Go ahead. So something that I've learned in... I guess with education and also with like just learning and also practicing as well too, recovery tends to come best also when it's in community. So when you're in community with others, so yes, talking about it with your partner, being open about it, but also being open about it to other trusted people. So maybe a therapist, maybe a pastor, maybe a recovery group, depending on what's available to you. But it has to, recovery takes place, it can best take place in community follow-up question. A lot of times, porn and masturbation are a struggle that can be helped effectively with an accountability partner. It can be so hard to admit, though. How can we break the awkwardness and embarrassment to start conversation with peers to create these accountability relationships? You haven't answered yet. I haven't answered yet. I have the thing, so I get to ask only. No. Um, this is, this is what we're trying to do, is, is create context where people can speak comfortably about Let's sexuality and where they feel permitted to talk about sex and sexuality and where we acknowledge that Christians do this. Now, how do we get over the awkwardness? We be awkward for a while, right? You can't, you can't get over awkwardness just by having a silent agreement that this is no longer going to be awkward among us. It doesn't occur. So we must find ways to, um, to bring it up and, and to do so 
even apologetic, like, I know maybe this will make you comfortable, but I just wanted to ask a question or, or, or share a thing or, or talk about this a little bit. And if people don't respond, they're not ready, that's okay. And some people will, and that's great. And we start to build this community of people who can talk about it. Uh, did you know that I'm a sinner? Did you know that I have a body? Pretty good start, right? Uh, I, I also, I believe the stats, stats on porn use among young adults, stats use, uh, stats on porn use among those in the church. And so something that I know is that some form of pornography more than once a month is in the life of most of the people in this room. So I think a big chunk of this awkwardness can be removed when you recognize you're normal. Let's talk about it. If it's something most of us are dealing with, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice to hide it. Um, it's a big one. Just bring it, you know, like, let's, let's share. Um, share with people you trust, sure. And um, if they don't have the same struggle, they, all, they have other ones, right? Like, if, they, if you trust them, I think you trust them enough, enough to not be self-righteous. Um, they have struggles too. O'Gallon, for you with your counseling background here, what if the trigger to using porn is anxiety in a generalized way or low self-esteem? How do I deal with it? Excellent question. Thank you. Um, yeah. So let's see if it's if it's fueled by anxiety or low self-esteem. So my instant go-to would be to, for one, okay, you identified it. Okay, so how should I put this? My first go-to would just typically be to try to find a counselor to talk to to help you work through the anxiety and also the low self-esteem. Because trying to work on it on your own, not to say that it can't be done, but from experience, both personal or professional, it can be very difficult to try to find out what, like how to cope with that on your own. So that would be, I would say, my go-to to try to find a professional to um, get some assistance with that. Okay, uh, like, pastor answer now. Yeah, so we get the it. counselor answer, uh, now we get the pastor answer. Uh, yeah. Like, as messed up as it is, porn use among Christians is just another example for searching for righteousness on my own. How so? Like, that's so depraved, but true. Um, to avoid or calm my anger. I, I'm less angry, so that is, I can feel better about myself if I do this because I address my anger. Um, I can feel better about myself because I've calmed my lust or my desire for people around me. Instead of doing something else that might infect other people I know, I'll do this instead, and that's better. It's, it's, it can, can, can disguise itself as a pursuit of righteousness, or um, it can make me feel more powerful than someone. It can make me feel better about myself because of something that I've done in the past. It can make me feel better about myself because of something that has happened to me, or it just takes away all the stress and pressure of all the ways that I'm not good enough. I know, I get it, it's, it's true, but also so messed up. Um, and anger and anxiety, like you know, when are the times, the times in my life when I have found myself getting especially angry and anxious, those are the times when, when pornography seems most appealing. But you know why those times of anger and anxiety almost always happen? It's because my false righteousness is being threatened. My man-made righteousness, my, my righteousness that's not Jesus. If that's being threatened, that's when I, get, that's when I need an out, an, an, an escape, a vice. 
And so if the anxiety is there, there's two things. One, to recognize what is the false righteousness that's being threatened that makes you so anxious? Is it how smart people think you are? Is it how good you look in your trendy clothes? Is it what your boyfriend thinks about you? Is it how proud you are of your behavior or, or your volunteering, all that you do for church, all your extra, whatever it is. If it's not Jesus, it's not right. And when those other things get threatened, we get anxious, we get angry, and we need to turn to something. So one, it's, it's identify what that false righteousness is, that when threatened makes you want that, that vice, but then also see your identity in Christ and know that the best thing you will ever become is a redeemed child of God, which you are right now. Because even if porn makes you feel better about yourself, it only lasts until the moment as soon as it's done when you feel even worse. Um, and I know that you know Jesus. We think right, we know Jesus. But the devil loves to take truth and twist it. And we do that to ourselves when the Jesus we tell ourselves about is, is just a Jesus who wants to come review and critique our behavior and remind us how far we've fallen short. And so again, accountability, surrounding yourself with Christian friends who you are open with each other, to have those Christian friends to simply say, well, obviously the Jesus I know is the one who is by your side and says, I know it's a mess out there. And it's really tough, and I get it. But I think you're doing great. And you still look righteous to me. I still love you. So if you're ready to get back out there and live by faith in the one who loves you and gave himself for you, I will go with you. That's who you are. That's your identity. Anger and anxiety don't come from that. The anger and anxiety come from the false righteousness being threatened because nothing can take away your true righteousness. That's the pastor answer. Um, there's a pair of questions here that I think are, are somewhat connected that I'd like to speak to you for a second. Um, one of them is, what advice do you have for people whose significant other is struggling with porn? So someone that you care about is struggling with porn. Advice for how to overcome the hurt from it that affects you. And the other question um, that's connected to it is about the passage from Corinthians that we had you read about um, wives not having authority over their own bodies. They, they, they give it to their husband. Husbands don't have authority over their own bodies. They give it to their wives. Um, one of the issues that happens in a broken and sinful world is that we... we we undergo things that hurt. We undergo things that are complex. And self-protection is a vital thing. And, and we don't want to give the impression ever that consent doesn't matter in marriage, right? Paul was not trying to say that if the man wants it, he should get it and she should give it up for him or vice versa. That's not a true thing at all. And especially in marriages where pornography becomes an issue and that trust is broken and people feel betrayed, it can be really hard to get back to that place where we feel safe being intimate with one another. When it comes to those situations, it is absolutely vital to start with what Brad just said. You are not a valuable person because your spouse finds you desirable or because you have a good sex life. You are a valuable person because Jesus loves you and died for you. He thought you were so valuable that he gave himself for you. That's where you start as being a valuable person. And then Jesus not only gives you himself, but he gives you other people. 
people you get to become connected to. God is not just having a personal relationship with you. He's having a corporate relationship with us. Both things are true at the same time. And so in a marriage, we get to have this intimate connection and we seek to build it one little step at a time. Um, but the recovery process is hard. CTC, our organization right now, is working on a whole suite of pro products that are designed to help people whose relationships have been blown up by porn addiction. How do we help people who thought their marriage was safe or their relationship was good and suddenly feel like everything is upside down? We'll, over the next year and a half or so, we'll come up with a whole bunch of things to help with that, most of which have to do with finding security in the gospel and then doing the little steps it takes to rebuild trust. What time frame do we have, guys? We're, we're very close to out of time. Are we, are we past? It was 9.30? Yes. We're, we're close. They said 9.30, but if you go a few minutes after, that's fine. So yeah, yeah. let's make them kick us out. Okay. So uh, there's a lot here that um, we'd love to answer. So if we don't answer yours, stick around. Like, we're, we'll still yeah. be here for a bit. Uh, I'll just take the top one that's here. Most of us aren't married, aren't even close to, or can't imagine being married. How can singles have positive conversations about the gift of sex without feeling left out or lonely? Do you want it? Do you want it? You are single. <laughs> this is correct. Am I correct in this, right? So you, you fit into the category here? Is that I'm, I'm correct, yes? Sure. So you just join Conquers Through Christ Board, right? So just if you're a single person, just join CTC and then you can have positive conversations. So no, I, that. Any input? No? Okay. Um, I am con I'm thankful for the house that I have. But I know there's, there are other houses I would like more. Um, I'm thankful for the job that I have. But I know that there are other jobs that I could like even more. I, and so, yes. Is there something that you could like even more than what you have right now? Yes. May you still have reason and opportunity to be thankful with what you have right now? Yes. Now, does my wife know that there's some things about our house that I think could be even better? Yeah, I talked to her about them. Um, and I, I talked to her about what would be really great. And I talked to her openly about that. Um, still content and thankful for what I have. St starts to address it. Yeah, you're developing the relationships right now that when you are married, if you uh, become a married person, you will be reliant on when you want to talk about it with other people, right? Like, it's one thing for husband and wife to be able to talk to each other about sex. It's a good thing. But you're, if you know, I'm a guy, so I have a wife. My wife is not a guy. Um, I'm ha happy with that. Um, so her perspective she's on what sex right is, she's calling me right now, uh, her perspective on what sex is, she's watching the live stream, um, is different from mine. So having people who are also male who I can talk to about sex is a very valuable thing. Developing those relationships now, like before I married, or when I was not married, is a good time. 
And if you ask the question and want more, catch us after. Um, there's some here I, I think could be fairly quick. Uh, is there any progress in getting more help in Tox Area Wells High Schools? Start it younger so it's more effective. We have a program that starts with age two and teaching the differences between boys and girls and privacy. We have a program for freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years of high schools. Um, we have contacted every Wells High School and offered it. Whether or not they make use of it is on them, so then the question could be more for them. Tomorrow we will be at Lakeside and Prep, and Friday we will be at Kingdom Prep. Um, we've been invited to Wisco, but just to have a table, so we might say our time is better spent at places where we can speak and address people. Um, so that too, like if you have a Wells High School in particular that you have in mind in asking this, feel free as a graduate to contact and say, hey, this would have been valuable for me then. Please contact them and ask them to come because we've never said no. Uh, you know, so that was, that was a quick one. Uh, personally, I think you should have disclosed the Corinthians passage you put on the screen. Uh, went on to say that the next verse is concession, not command. I think it's a bit misleading to just say the partners shouldn't withhold sex from one another that could produce issues with consent and marriage. Absolutely. Um, we used the passage we did to prove the point that, of the thesis. Um, and in that passage, like, y your body is not your own. It's not yours to offer to whoever you want. Because it belongs with this person. You can't just go flaunting around for whoever you decide today. It, you don't have that right. What you're doing that belongs with this person. Um, it's not a you belong to them so that they can do whatever they want. Right? Addressing that, the consent. You do not have their consent to go with someone else. Okay? The consent there. Um, is using animated porn a yeah, step in the I right direction? Yeah, can I take that one? Please. Real quick. So the question is, is using animated porn like a step in the right direction compared to l watching real people? I, I understand this. I think the spirit of the question, which is you're not devaluing an actual human being, right? So in watching actual people perform pornographic acts, you're falling into the, the my friend Harry H, right? And that whole issue of devaluing a person and giving, taking away their ability to consent. So animated seems like it might be better. The issue is sex is for connection. It is, a, it, is a, it is a gift that allows us to lean into interdependent connection with another person. And as it happens, no animated character can possibly offer you that. Um, so that whole idea of being satisfied isn't really going to happen um, through animated sex of any kind. Um, that being said, animated sex, just the very concept of VR and animation and 3D and all of that, is going to make this more complicated. I have a five-year-old son, and I think about what the, the pornographic world will be like for him as he comes of age. Um, and it will be quite a complicated thing, like AI and stuff is gonna make this crazy. Um, so it's something to think about. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, I, I'm thinking this is our last question. Yeah, probably. Uh, and I'll just add, anytime that your question is something like that, like how far can I go, is it still okay? It's, it's the wrong question, you're facing the wrong direction. Um, as Christians, we're striving for Christ, to get closer to Christ, to know Christ and be like Christ. So your question is, how close can I get? Not how far can I go, and it's still okay, but how close can I get to be like him and know him and show him to the world? And I think if you do that, say, is, is animated porn like Jesus? No. Right? How close can I get? Right? Um, that's your goal. That's our goal. And, and also an accountability to help each other stay focused on that goal. So not how far can I go, but how close can I get. 
and every sexual activity and encounter to be with this person who's committed to you and say, Jesus, be glorified. And if you can't say that, don't do it. Um, now, we're, we're tainted and depraved, so like, we can convince ourselves that Jesus could be glorified in this, and, and sometimes when, when he can't. But it's at least a decent starting point. If you can't say, Jesus, be glorified, then don't do it. Anything more? I always try to remind people when I'm talking to them about their porn addiction that Jesus is with you every time that you use pornography and masturbate, not because he wants to point his finger at you and make you feel bad, but because he loves to be with you. And he, he loves to be with us. He wants us to have good sex if that's going to be part of our lives. He wants to be with us and move us toward that. He loves you in that way. So thanks for being here, for letting us kind of try to reframe the sexual conversation a little bit. We'll stick around. We'd love to chat. If you'd like to chat, take 100 devotions. We brought a whole bunch. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts, Josh? All righty. I'll just say, uh, I know that it's really hard to be a Christian. And I think especially at your age when, when things change as quickly as they do in a short amount of time in your life. And the fact that you are here and the fact that you are still an identifiable Christian means I really respect you. So when I said Jesus thinks you're doing great, so do I. Uh, and we're in this together. You are not alone. Thanks.